Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins, and today we're going to talk about a number of great comments and emails that came in, as usual, during the week. Uh, it's becoming a normal and completely fun thing that every week everyone gives us these great questions, these great comments. They ask questions that are relevant to the course. They end up on the course. So if you're new to the podcast, what we do here each week is we talk to the members of the Mandarin Blueprint Method course and answer their questions and comments so that we can make the course better and, of course, have direct customer to creator interaction. So, you know, Luke and I create the Mandarin Blueprint video course, and each week we add new videos, we add new content, we make changes, and uh, much of the time, you know, Chinese is a massive language, so uh, if we didn't cover something in the course, people might have a question about it, about a nuanced point of grammar, or perhaps how to remember an individual Chinese character well, and so what Luke and I will do is we'll answer those questions here, and then that ends up on the course. So, it's a living course. It's constantly growing as a direct result of user feedback. And in that uh, vein, for those of you who are on the course, I have a request for you. So this week I made a post in the community forum, and so you may have already gotten it, but this is just a reminder that I have created a vocab mnemonics shared Google spreadsheet. So uh, what we've put in the spreadsheet is all of the compound vocabulary words that come from the foundation course. And we are recommending that you do things like look at the characters and see how they relate to each other, uh, listen to how the word sounds, um, connect the words back to memories, especially if they're memories of some kind of media that you watched, like a, a movie or or uh, you, uh, something you read in a book, like you know anything from, say, like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or Star Trek or things like that, that the word will remind you of. You think of the English definition, what does that remind you of? Uh, and you kind of try to come up with sound mnemonics, uh, connection mnemonics to sort of ideas around it, and like things like if you see the word shouqiang, which means uh, a handgun, for example, you know, you could just imagine a handgun or you could ask yourself, do I have any particular connection to a handgun for some reason? And like, I've never uh, used a handgun in my life, but when I was a kid, I uh, played uh, GoldenEye 007 on Nintendo 64. And uh, I remember the Cougar Magnum was a, a, a handgun that was really powerful and, uh, you know, it would like kick back when you would shoot it. And I, so I, if I think of a handgun, I think of that Cougar Magnum from GoldenEye uh, 007. And so that's just an example of how you can come up with a connection to your own personal experiences. Uh, here's one. The word for this year is 今年, 今年. And I was saying that to myself, 今年, 今年. And then I was like, this kind of sounds like the two female names, Ginny and Anne. Jinian, Jinian, right? And I was like, oh, well, that sort of, you could imagine that Ginny Weasley from uh, uh, Harry Potter wins this year's Olympics. And, uh, you know, it's this year. So we would imagine that we have like the Olympics and it says 2020. I mean, obviously the Olympics got canceled this year. So we can imagine it's 2021 and just imagine it's this year. And then in second place was Anne Hathaway in this year's Olympics. It was just sort of a quick thing that I thought of because it sounds sort of like Ginny Ann. And then, um, you know, you could do something related to uh, how the 
characters just relate to each other. For example, Zhenkou means uh, population, and it's person and mouth or opening, right? So you could say, and mouth looks like a square. So one idea is you imagine drawing a square around a city, all the people inside are the population. Or uh, all the mouths to feed in a region are the population of people, right? So it's uh, these types of things where you can think of simple mnemonic connections to the vocab words. Now, I've made this Google Sheet available to everybody to edit uh, so that they can add their own suggestions. And uh, this way we can, as a community, get together and improve this layer of the course, make all of the vocab words in the foundation course easier to remember because we have these mnemonic devices all throughout. And of course, Luke and I will make sure that there are at least two mnemonic devices for every word. There are about 600 compound words and 401 character words, but we're only going to worry about this for the compound words. So... 1,200 mnemonic devices to remember 600 words, uh, we think that'll make it a lot easier to bridge the gap between seeing the vocabulary word and acquiring it in context. So when you first see a vocabulary word, you know one thing about it in the Mandarin Blueprint method. You know what the characters are because you never, we never unlock a vocabulary word until you've properly learned the two or more characters that comprise the word. But we still need to see the word in context before it's fully acquired. And to understand what a, a fully acquired word is, just think of a word that you started using recently in English or your native language. So perhaps uh, I, th I think the word instantiate was a word that I hadn't really used ever, but I heard some people in lectures talk using that word and I went, oh, okay, you know, I think I get it. And then one day I was talking to somebody and I said the word instantiate and I thought, okay, that word is now acquired because I was able to use it in my active vocabulary. And so there's some point between seeing the word for the first time and being able to use it in your active vocabulary, there's a gap of time. And one of the things that makes that gap of time such that you don't forget the definition of the word is these vocab mnemonics. So if you can remember, okay, renko means population because it's the amount of mouths you have to feed in a region. And then eventually you see renko loads of times in articles and talking about the, uh, uh, for example, that China's doing the census right now and they're doing the renko pucha. Uh, and so like that's an example of where you would see it in context all the time. The the point being that because you had the mnemonic, in the time between seeing it for the first time and then acquiring it in context, you still remembered what it meant. And that's what the purpose of this is. So this exercise, if everybody gets involved and everybody contributes, you know, uh, a few mnemonics, spend like 10 minutes maybe, then this will make it ready to go. And we're hoping to have it finished by November 12th, 2020. Uh, but uh, if you're getting this podcast way later than that, you can still, we'll keep the sheet available. So if anybody wants to uh, just check it out and have some cool mnemonics for remembering uh, some vocabulary words, by all means, check it out. All right. So that's our announcement about the vocab mnemonic sheet. Please give that a look and uh, make your contributions and we'll make the course that much better together. So thanks everyone. Now, Let's move on to the comments and questions that came in this week uh, on the course and in the community forum and by email. Comment number one comes from Kate Gans in the community forum. She says, this sentence didn't have a tag, so I'm not sure what level it is from. I'm not returning home today now. How do we know this doesn't mean I did not 
return home today. So the way we know this is because there are, well, let's break down the different types of ways you could say this. The sentence is 我今天不回家了. Another option is 我今天不回家了. No at the end. Another is 我今天没有回家. Or 没回家. Either way, 没 or 没有 are essentially the same. 没 is just an abbreviation for 没有. Uh, so what is the difference between these two sen- or these three sentences? Well, let's look at the last one first. 我今天没有回家. This means I did not return home today because mayo is what you use to negate past events. So to say something didn't happen, right, in the past. And uh, you do not use bu for when you're negating something in the past. If you just want to say, I did not go home today, 我今天没有回家, then that just means I did not do this and there's no implication of anything else. It's just straight up, I did not return home today. So that's how you actually say uh, the translation you asked about, Kate. But then let's look at the other one, uh, the middle one. 我今天不回家. 我今天不回家. Uh, this is just saying, I don't go home today. I don't go home today. So this is maybe you'd say something like somebody says, uh, you know, they could just say, are you going home today? And you just say, I don't go home today. I go home tomorrow or I go home next week, right? I don't go home today. 我不回家. Now, add the le. 我今天不回家了. Well, this implies that you had planned on going home today, but something has changed. So, I'm not returning home today now. In the same way that in English, when we add now at the end, you know, okay, that must mean that you previously were going to go home today and now you're not, right? So if you see a look at the end of the sentence like that, that is indicating the change. And interestingly enough, a lot of individual sentences don't have enough context to be absolutely certain, uh, you know, what the situation is. But this sentence has enough. You don't need any more to know that previously the plan was to go home today and now it's not because... Otherwise, you wouldn't put the look. If you just if some if you never had a plan to go home today, and somebody says, uh, you know, uh, I thought you were at home, or I thought you were going home, and you say I don't go home today, 我不回家, But if you were going home today, and somebody knows it, like your friend comes over and was like, I thought you were going home today, and you say 我今天不回家了, the look indicates that something must have happened. I don't know. You you. Um, you, you missed your train, you uh, got something, something came up and you're not going home today now. So that's the difference between those three. Next, we have Chris Lewis on Make a Movie for I. Uh, Chris is actually, I met Chris on the, uh, in Tiger Leaping Gorge area. Or no, I met him in Dali uh, in Yunnan province. He was on vacation with his family and uh, a friend of mine who was vacationing with me overheard him uh, speaking about Chinese learning, and she was like, you should check out my friend's uh, <laughs> Mandarin Blueprint course. And so anyway, he says, I absolutely love this course. The imagery is very creative. Every time I see a character on a sign, I instantly recognize what prop I've learned, even if I don't know the character yet. Keep up the great work, guys. I'm loving my memory. Yeah, isn't it cool how when you start using mnemonics in a very effective way, you start going like, wow, this is like I discovered a supercomputer in my own brain. I didn't even know it was there. It's pretty cool how uh, you can find ways to Google search your brain for a connection that will help things uh, become 
memorable in the and you know you could think of it as like how does memory work in the first place like you can't remember something that has no connection to what you already know so if you suddenly and you know foreign language is a great example of this if i'm in the middle of the sahara desert and suddenly a guy walks up to me and starts speaking a language that's like native to the sahara desert it's going to be almost impossible for me to remember anything other than he was speaking a foreign language. Am I going to remember that, like, what he said when he saw me or what, you know, how the sound went when he was trying to say, who are you or whatever? No, there's no way I'm going to remember because there's no connection to what I already know. However, once you start to connect individual items to what you already know, then you start to build up a foundation of knowledge, at which point you can attach new knowledge to that new foundation. So when you first start with a foreign language, the only thing you can apply the knowledge to is your previous language and your previous experiences. But the thing is, that's a lot, you know, especially if you're an adult, you've been alive for many years and many days. Think of it as how many days you've been alive, how many hours you've been alive, just seeing things and picking up on things. And then whatever you can attach to those new uh, moments, you know, the TV show you watch, the experience you had with your uncle going fishing when you were seven, right? These, these things all are potential helpers to getting the new knowledge in. And then once you have enough of a foundation of Chinese, that foundation itself, the Chinese itself will be enough to help you continue to learn more Chinese. And that's really what Mandarin Blueprint hopes to get you to, to get you to that point where you can use the language in and of itself to learn more language. And so, at the beginning, though, you need to find all the techniques to connect to what you already know. And so I'm glad to hear that you're discovering the uh, highly evolved memory centers in your brain, Chris. Lance Kaufman on Make a Movie for Jie. He says, I have trouble recalling whether components touch, cross, or float. I am starting to incorporate a levitating or magnetic field special effect in my scenes to help distinguish this. In this scene, the umbrella is floating on uh, is floating on slash above the sword and staff. Right. Um, and I think this is fine. I think this is a good idea to do. Um, I think that you will discover, Lance, that this is um, optional to do this. And the reason I say that is because as you continue forward, you know, many of my uh, mnemonic scenes to remember the characters didn't have the positioning correct. And we do talk about the positioning a lot and it is fairly important to get it right, but it's also, it depends on the character. So some characters, the reason you want to get the positioning right is because they have the exact same components, but they're just in a different position. Classic example, the character Ling is mouth and power. So uh, like we use uh, the Rolling Stones mouth and power lines or Rolling Stones mouth and a, and a like big like, you know, muscle or something. And, uh, you know, that is the mouth on top and the power on the bottom means Ling. And this is another. But if you put the um, power component on the left and the mouth component on the right, that's Jia, which means to add, like to add and subtract. And so the positioning in that case is very important. But when you have, say, props that are... Um, not repeated in any other character, then the positioning is less important because you're not likely to put the, uh, say, umbrella components below the other two if it's not in the right position in your mnemonic scene. Now, this is something that I hesitate to say because at the beginning, you should probably follow the rules to a T and get the positioning correct and use this magnetic field special effect. 
I guess I'm just saying that as you continue forward and you get better at the technique, you may find that it's unnecessary to be quite so uh, technical with it and quite so um, perfectionistic with it. Because if you find that the props don't repeat themselves and the positioning doesn't matter, uh, then, you know, don't try to force your brain to come up with a way to make something fit that's not fitting if you can just change the positioning of them and it works. So that's my suggestion for that. But still, uh, I like where your head is at with it. And I like that sort of magnetic field idea. All right. So next we have Michaela Ellison on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Huodong. Uh, can you give me some context to how the first example might be used? And she's referring to Jintian Um It sounds like someone would be asking what about what events were scheduled during the Olympics or maybe what activities uh, are scheduled at camp. But I, it wouldn't be used to ask about what someone has scheduled for the day as in errands, meetings, etc. Or could it be? Um, yeah, so this word, 活动, means, uh, well, first of all, it has a verb usage like uh, Like uh, that would be literally the process of moving your hands around. Um, but that's actually less common than the noun version, which is essentially an event. And so... In China, there's events all the time. Like there's all sorts of events for a, a corporate party, a, a new product release, a um, you know a car show, a, a an event for um, a, a fashion uh, contest or something. There's there's all over the place, and my band plays at them all the time. And so, huodong is a bit of a catch-all phrase for this type of you know gathering of people to do some to talk about something, to have some kind of event, to, to have an economic forum, to have a, you know, it's a, it's a very broad term for these types of events that usually have a host and they're, you know, talking about, so there's some theme to it, you know, it's a the, the product release or whatever. So you get the idea. Now, uh, it wouldn't be like an Olympic event because that's a little bit more specific. Now, um, you would usually say, you know, so the Olympics is the, uh, which is short for So means sports. is a sporting event. So is a, a meeting of some sort. Um, could be, you know, just means to have a meeting like at your office or something. And so is a gathering of sports people uh, for a sporting event. And then the is obviously a loan word from uh, Olympic, and then that which just gets um, abbreviated to and the events here would be more specific, like a, for example, a saipao is a race, right? So pao means to run, sai uh, is bi sai, which means like a, uh, is a, a, a competition, so saipao, uh, right? And that's uh, kind of how that would work. Now, Huodong um, in general is just more for things like uh, what I mentioned before. And so that's the kind of event that we're referring to there. Uh, you know, I could say to a uh, an agent who's trying to book my band, I might say, uh, what kind of huodong is this? And they might say, oh, it's a, it's a wedding. It's a hunli. So like a, a hunli is a huodong, but not all huodongs are hunli. So basically, it's a pretty big catch-all category for these types of things and uh as for running errands you know uh errands technically speaking are chai shi um and but you know 
usually um, you, people will just say, for example, 处理 means to deal with, and 事 or 事 means to uh, mean stuff or things. So 处理一点事 or 我今天有点事 right? Which just means like I have stuff to do today. It's a very colloquial way of saying that. Or 我还有有一点事要处理 right? And these different uh, ways of saying that, that that's kind of how you would say it in a more colloquial sense. You wouldn't say it's a 活动. Uh, 活动 is a bit, a bit wider in scope than uh, an individual doing errands. Next, we have a question from Lucy Haley on Make a Movie for Si. She says, can you use the bathroom and the backyard for different scenes? For example, one word uh, with the null set is in the bathroom, whereas this one is in the backyard. Uh, yes, I think that's fine. Um, so basically, you know, we suggest for tones. So uh, you put the first tone outside the entrance, the second tone in the kitchen or just inside the entrance. You put the third tone in the bedroom or the living room or some other unassigned room. And you put the fourth tone in the bathroom or the backyard. Now, you might say, should it be consistent? Should it, If it's in your childhood home, should all fourth tones all take place in the backyard or should they all take place in the bathroom? My sense of it is that uh, you can mix and match because regardless of whether it's the backyard or the bathroom, there's no contradiction, right? Where are you? I'm in the backyard of my childhood home. That doesn't take the time. The amount of time it took for me to say that is way longer than it takes for you to realize that that's where you are in your mind's eye. So is that the bedroom? Is that the kitchen? Is that outside the entrance? No, it's in the backyard, right? There's no doubt about it. There's no contradiction between third tone, second tone, and first tone. So it's fine. Uh, I would highly recommend uh, just, um, you know, you can mix and match. Just do whichever one works better. For example, uh, there's a character um, that means to, like, be stuffed up or, like, uh, otherwise kind of clogged. And uh, that character, I imagined hap happening, it was a fourth tone, du. And I remember that happening in my childhood home bathroom because I could imagine the toilet being all clogged, right? Now, uh, other characters i imagine in the backyard because there's more room to work with you got trees you got you know uh, grass whatever there's just something you could there was just more room and so i would rather do it in the backyard i did both i didn't have any problems so the answer is uh yeah no problem lance kaufman on new vocabulary unlocked for edr for some of my word images i added a custom image by having my daughter do a pose slash action slash fun way to bring in the family. Uh, as a side note, my daughter is three and has good Mandarin comprehension, but spoke mostly in English, even with grandparents who don't speak English. But since I started studying last month, her Mandarin expressive vocabulary has grown exponentially. Kids are amazing like that, right? Uh, you know, they already have a little bit, she's already got a little bit of a foundation in Mandarin, probably because she's hearing, I imagine, you know, if her grandparents don't speak English, she probably have a Mandarin speaking uh, uh, partner. And so, you know, your, uh, your daughter, hears your partner speaking and then, you know, grandparents speaking and maybe hasn't started expressing herself as much, but then you just give her that little push by learning Mandarin. And she starts, you know, knocking it out of the park. It's so cool how kids are like that. Um, and, uh, you know, this idea of making custom images is something that we love, you know, like that's, that's one of those things that, you know, it, it's not the top priority right now, but I've always thought that it would be fun to do like a big time sort of photo shoot where uh, we are creating these 
images necessary for the uh, vocab mnemonic decks because you know then we would want to worry about copyright like it's a uh, copyrights obviously you know if you're using materials in your Anki cards and you're just putting an image and copying and pasting it into your Anki cards, that's for individual use, for private use. It's not for commercial use. So you can use a copyrighted image and it's no problem. Uh, but uh, for us, we can't just, you know, throw in whatever images into the course. So uh, if you can make your own in that way, you know, that's, and of course the connection to them will be even better because it'll be your daughter. That's like, you know, that's a great way to do that. So other people out there, feel free to follow Lance's example and make some of your own images. Michaela Ellison on new vocabulary unlocked for Ihuart. She says, can woman Xiuxi also be translated as let's rest in a moment? Uh, so woman Xiuxi means let's rest for a moment. Uh, and so she's basically saying, what about in a moment? Right? So it's opposed to for a moment. And the difference is that woman Xiuxi is definitely saying like, let's rest now. Right? Um, it's a suggestion with the bop, but like, it's, it's not referring to later or in a moment. It's referring to right now. If you want to say that, you'll either say woman guo means to pass the time, right? So woman Then that would mean in a moment we'll xiuxi, uh, we'll rest. Or you could say woman or woman That would be fine too. Um, so dai means it, it's the second character in deng dai, which is the formal formal word for uh, weight. We usually just say deng uh, for weight, but like if you're seeing a formal, a slightly more formal writing, they might say deng dai and deng dai. So that's the same kind of weight feeling. So wait a moment. Dai Right, that would be fine as well. So, and are the way you express in a moment or in a little bit. And it's a sort of an indeterminate amount of time, but just in a bit, right? Lucy Haley on It's a Word for Tsi. Off topic, but there are there any cool cultural connectors as to why air is regarded as to make angry? So, yeah, she's referring to how Tsi um, can refer to uh, air or gas is a Tsi Tsi. So like a, a air body and uh, water is yeti or sorry liquid is yeti uh, so a liquid body and guti uh, is a solid so those are those solid liquid gas um, so why did does qi have anything to do with with anger well it's you know I I don't necessarily know if this is a, an official cultural reason but I can say that the way that you say uh, to make someone angry or to become angry is to sheng qi you know I. And you can also just say it's, I am angry. So sheng means to give birth to or give rise to, right? So give rise to air. And remember that qi is like, you, you've probably heard people in, in a Western context talk about your qi. You know, there's a qi gong, which is that similar to tai chi, tai chi um, type of uh, sort of, like, it's not exactly a martial, I guess it is a martial art, but it's sort of slow meditative movements. And your qi is your aura, your uh, your mood, your sense of uh, what's you know kind of going on in a very. It's a little bit mystical in how it feels, but that's your qi. And if you 
create more chi. It's, it's almost like they're conceptualizing anger as there being even more because you're giving rise to more. So you're overly chi. You need to get, you need to let it off, right? Let off some steam, right? So you let off some steam because you've built up a bunch of steam in you because you're angry. So it's kind of um, an interesting way to conceptualize it. But the fact that we, you know, even have a, uh, a, a word for it in English, like to say to let off some steam, we know that there's a some kind of universal there where we conceptualize getting overly stressed or angry as being a buildup of sort sort of like air or steam or whatever, and you gotta let it off. You gotta, you know, fa um, xie is the word they use for that in uh, Chinese, which means to like sort of like you know let take a uh, what do you call it that vent right? You vent out your uh, discomfort. So anyway. Uh, that's sort of my thoughts about it, considering that you can say sheng qi to mean become angry. Another one from Lucy, which is a good question for people who are, you know, relatively early in the course. She says, hey, I was just wondering how many characters is a solid aim for someone to, tr to be trying to learn a day? For example, I have an hour in the morning dedicated to Mandarin, the best. The first 15 to 20-ish mins are all Anki and Revision. So I'm left with 40 to 45 minutes for character building. Do you have any advice? Well, I mean, if that's your time constraint, then uh, the key is to figure out what the balance is between flashcard reviews and uh, learning new things. And so this is going to take a little bit of time to calibrate. But actually, the fact that you have one hour is in, in some ways it makes it easier. So. Obviously, we all want to be able to do more in less time, you know, but it's there's going to be some limit if you only have an hour, obviously. So the what I would recommend is figure out, okay, is 15 to 20 minutes gets you to zero in your flashcards, so you've caught up, and then uh, 40 to 45 minutes adds enough new material to your flashcards that you don't get too overwhelmed then that's the right balance. But it's also possible that some days your flashcard reviews will take you more time, at which point you'll have less time for uh, for your character learning. You know, in fact, this this kind of sorts itself out naturally. So as long as you, as you, as you figure out, okay, for sure, I need to finish my flashcard reviews, and then whatever time is left I'll use for learning, then what what will naturally happen is that some days your uh, flashcard reviews will be quite long, which won't give you much time to learn new material, which will in turn make your flashcard reviews fewer the next day. So if you add one new card today, then you're making your reviews tomorrow fewer. But if you add 20 new cards today, well, those 20 new cards are definitely going to come up again tomorrow because the, the algorithm goes, first you see it 10 minutes later, uh, after the after the very first time you see it, you see it again 10 minutes later, and then if you get it right again, you see it a day later, and then one day later, if you see it again, you see it four days later, and that thus begins the longer and longer interval uh, section. But what what's definitely true is that any new cards you learn today, you will see tomorrow. So if you imagine I added 700 new cards today, well, for sure I have at least 700 reviews tomorrow plus all the other reviews uh, that had built up. So... What will naturally happen if you only have an hour is you just say, okay, first I get my reviews done, then I do my learning, and I take five minutes. You got well, this is probably like more like five to fifteen minutes at the end 
to unsuspend the cards you learned that day or the new facts you learned that day and then run them through your review cycle at least once. So actually your flashcards bookend your study session. So the beginning is review. The middle is the study session. You then stop your study, study session with enough time left to be able to do this next step, which the final step is unsuspend all the cards that correspond to exactly what you learned in your study session just then. And then, of course, when they're unsuspended as new cards, you need to look at them once, right? So that a new card you see, and you'll get it right because you just studied it, right? And then you'll see it again 10 minutes later. So that once again, you know, reinforces it. And then at that point, they're ready to be reviewed the next day. So a new card has to go through a cycle before it enters your review queue. So unsuspending the cards puts them into the new card queue. Then you run down your new card queue, and then they're in your review card queue from then on. It's uh, They're only ever once in the new card queue. So uh, hopefully that's clear enough. So those are some suggestions. And obviously, as you move forward, you're going to get better at all of this and get more efficient at all of this. And then you might even have some more time uh, at some point. You know, Maybe you figure out ways to do Anki reviews throughout the day in little gaps in your day, and that's how you do your reviewing. And then you just do the entire hour as a study sesh. That's fine, too. William Beeman on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Laogong. Hi, we now have several terms for husband and wife, like Fu, xiansheng, as well as this one, Laogong. Can you sort them out? This one looks sort of odd to me, like old, honorable, or something like that. When would you use these different terms? Okay, well, the, yeah, there are corresponding terms for husband and wife. Um, there's mainly three. So the most neutral is Fu for husband and qizi for uh, wife. That's the most standard, not informal, not formal. It's just the word for them. Uh, then you have xiansheng and tai tai. These are the most formal. Uh, and there is an inconsistency about this one, but I'll, I'll go back to that. And then the most spoken is laogong and laopuo. Laogong and laopuo. The reason why they're most spoken is because A, they're using the lao prefix, which just means familiar. And, uh, puo is the, uh, more archaic word for, uh, woman. So it's like the familiar woman is my wife, you know, and like that, that makes sense. Right. And then laogong. Gong is, um, you know, what's interesting about gong is that it's the word you use to describe male animals. So it's kind of like, I don't know if it's insulting to men or something. I mean, like, you know, oh, yeah, it's my familiar old animal or something like that. But, you know, gong also means like public and, you know, it has a, several different meanings. So I'm, I'm just saying there's some connection to the idea of male and gong. So lao gong is... Uh, you know, the familiar man, the familiar husband, right? And so those are the most spoken. Then with xiansheng, xiansheng means, can mean husband. Uh, interestingly enough, I, I once um, dated a woman who had been divorced, and she always referred to her ex-husband as her xiansheng, right? Which it's almost like instead of calling him her laogong, or her Fu because they had sort of formally uh, divorced. It was almost like she wanted to talk about it more formally, right? <laughs> because as if to take away some of the uh, uh, sense of intimacy to it, right? And so I thought that was interesting. But I have heard women refer to their husbands as uh, 我先生, right? Now, it can also mean Mr., 
right? So uh, my last name is Crimmins, Crimmins Xiansheng, right? Like that's just how you would say Mr. Crimmins in Chinese. Uh, and if you're referring to Xiansheng as Mr., then the opposite is Nu Shi. Nu Shi. This word is like the word for um, Mrs. or or Ms. Like that, just the idea of, you know, I'll say your last name, and like if your last name's Yang, Yang Nu Shi, right? So that's uh, Ms. Yang, right? Uh, and and it's just a formal way to refer to uh, a lady respectfully. Like you know, if you meet, if somebody walks into uh, a a nice store and the clerk wants to you know be respectful they'll call you your last name plus new shirt if you're a lady and they'll call you last name plus xiansheng if you're a if you're a, a gentleman and you also say new shirtman xiansheng new shirtman that means ladies and gentlemen right so uh and then you have uh so the opposite of xiansheng when it means husband is tai tai uh and this is also, this could be used as Mrs., but it wouldn't be used in the same context. So, for example, uh, you know, a man obviously could refer to his wife as what the tai tai. It's the most formal way to say it, but you'll hear men say that sometimes. I mean, sometimes you want to be referring to your wife when you're in a formal setting, and so you'll say what the tai tai, right? Um, and you might say, say the last name is Yang again, you might say Yang tai tai to indicate Mrs. Yang, but that's not going to be used in a context of like the the way I imagine saying uh, Yang Tai Tai is if you are speaking to her directly, but you're still in a formal sense, formal setting. You know for sure she's married. You know who she is to some degree. You're at least acquainted. And then you might say Yang Tai Tai. But if you're going to meet somebody for the first time, you don't know about their marriage status or anything like that, you would definitely say last name plus new shi. Or if you were going to refer to, say, we're, we're going to invite the next speaker on stage, uh, Yang Nu Shi to give her speech, right? Um, and you would definitely not say Yang Tai Tai in that context. So there's the little bit of a difference there is related to Tai Tai and Nu Shi. So essentially you could think of it as like this, Xiansheng is Mr. sometimes and Xiansheng is husband sometimes. And the opposite of when it's husband is Tai Tai and the opposite of when it's Mr. is Nu Shi. Uh, so that's how that works. Sorry for the long-winded explanation, but man, Chinese uh, does have a lot of ways to refer to uh, relationships in their uh, vocabulary. <laughs> Next, we have a question from Jack on it's a word for jin, which means half kilo. Uh, it's kind of a common measure measurement here uh, in China, but it is exactly half a kilo. So a gong jin is uh, one kilogram. Um, so he said, you may have already fixed this in the updated deck. The translation for the third sentence on the card says, it's not healthy to eat a half kilo of pork. And he's referring to the sentence, kang. And uh, I've made the change so that now they both say meat slash pork. But the reason why I put this supposed contact, uh, content correction in the podcast is because zhou by itself does sometimes mean pork uh, in China. Because uh, I suspect that this is probably a result of the sort of changes that happened after the Cultural Revolution and the reform and opening up the Gaigu Kaifang, where China went from being a very, very poor country to uh, 
you know, just certainly massively less poor. It's not that there's no poverty in China now, but it's just, you know, way less of a problem than it used to be. But there was a long period of time where getting to eat any kind of meat was a luxury. Um, you know, you most of the time you were you're lucky to get some uh, rice, right? And so if you got to eat any kind of meat, it was a luxury. And the cheapest, most mass produced meat in China is pork. I think China's the number one pork producer in the world. Uh, and so for a while, any kind of row you were ever going to get was pork. Like you would have to be rich to get beef or, or lamb or something like that, right? And so the vast majority of people just referred to zhou as pork. And so as a result, if you don't specify the meat, um, then there's a good chance people are going to assume that what you mean is pork. Now, uh, it obviously does create some confusion because if you were to supposed to say, you know, if you don't, if you just say zhou, like, well, 不吃肉, meaning like I don't eat meat, somebody might interpret that as I don't eat pork. Uh, as a matter of fact, in China, I think that's even that might even be the main way that people interpret that because vegetarianism and veganism in China aren't really like very popular. So the idea that you don't eat meat at all, it's not unheard of. Like, it's not like somebody would be like, I can't what, you know, they, but they would be a little bit surprised. And so if they heard you say, well, 不吃肉, they might think that you mean, uh, I just don't eat pork. Uh, but anyway, like if you want to specify what meat it is, you need to add in the type of the animal first. So niu rou. Niu means cow. Niu rou is beef. Uh, yang means sheep. Yang rou means mutton or, or lamb. Uh, well, actually not lamb, but, you know, um, mutton. And then uh, and then you've got, um, you know, zhu rou. If you said zhu, which is a pig, zhu rou, then you're for sure talking about pork. Um, now, he asked a follow-up question. He says, um, does I don't eat any type of meat equal 我不吃任何种肉? Uh, no, not exactly. First of all, 种 is a measure word, so like you wouldn't use it in that way. Um, 任何 means any, but you don't actually have to use 任何 in many circumstances to say any because there's the other way to say any is to use the question word plus 都. So 哪种肉都不吃 or 哪种肉? So if I say means which, right? But if I say or either of those mean I don't eat any any meat or any in the first one, uh is I don't eat any type of meat. So that would be clear. If you said or 我哪种肉都不吃, uh, then that makes it very clear to whoever you're talking to that all types of meat I don't eat, right? So it, it's kind of interesting how they'll do it. It's like when they say 哪种肉都不吃, it's like they're saying no matter which, no matter which, all don't get eaten, right? You know, so it's like that's kind of cool how they'll do that. And 什么肉都不吃, that's another way to say, you know, it's not what meat, right? It's, by having that do in there, you know that it's saying, regardless of what, I don't eat any of it. So um, that's usually how you would say I don't eat any meat. will come up as a word for all, but it's actually less common than you think because you get to use all of the question words to indicate all if you want. Uh, so, you know, 
nega means which nega uh nega do is like all of which um you know shama is what shama do is any right um or all of all of what i guess you could say um and so forth you know shama shaho do uh so when anytime right um so it goes from when to whenever right anyway so uh hopefully that clears that up there interesting thing about zhou Prentice Rhodes on bonus. Don't try figure figuring out Chinese learning on your own. Uh, I'm happy that I finally signed up for the Mandarin Blueprint system. I, too, tried one of the popular repetition programs, used other apps, and spent a lot of money and remote training programs based in China, and I'm a year into my Mandarin study. It has been a little frustrating. In the couple weeks that I've been using the Mandarin Blueprint resources, I've noticed improvement. My Mandarin future is looking positive. Well, glad to hear it, Prentice. And, you know, uh, that's our goal. We're just trying to make it so that... Uh, you don't have to kind of try to figure it out on your own with all these different apps and different ways of going about it. It's it's really uh, much easier than that if you just follow a, a structure that takes each layer of the language very seriously, as we do from pronunciation to phase one characters, phase two vocabulary, phase three grammar and and uh, simple sentences, phase four, uh, more advanced grammar and longer form content, phase five, full stories, intermediate course, consolidation and continuing to get graded readers. You know, it's like sort of all of these things are highly useful uh, if you can approach them be at, by building the previous foundation first. And it's all accumulative. So you'll get it. Alex Sumray on Vocab Unlocked from Lie. This is in the intermediate course. He says, is there a difference in how zhe and zhe are used? The latter potentially used more as an adjective, the former uh, perhaps an adverb. Yeah, so I remember I was watching this Chinese movie uh, where there was, um, you know, the plot of the movie was that there was this boss coming to um, check up on his company workers in some poor rural town and, uh, you know, there was some corruption going on. The main character was planning on killing the boss when he arrives. And he arrives in a plane and all the workers are lined up and they're sort of forced to say, um, welcome, welcome, warm welcome. So, right? So, warmly welcome. Adverb. Right? So, we warmly welcome you. Whereas, is much more of a descriptor of how people are, how they treat you, uh, what, um, you know, is their, they're warm and enthusiastic, you know, 成都人很热情, you know, they're, you just use it to describe how people are. So I would say, and, you know, you could say that the environment is very 热情, um, but it's mostly a, a personal trait of somebody. So, uh, whereas like 热烈 is kind of like how you do some verb, you know. Uh, for example, welcoming. Next, we have Lucy Haley on new vocabulary unlocked for 认识. She says, hi, just confirming, this is to recognize and know someone, whereas the first half of this character is only to recognize something. Well, first of all, the first half of this word. Please be clear on the distinction between characters and words. 认识 is a word. 人 is a character. So, like, it's just, it's important to get that nomenclature right because... A word is the combination of the characters, and usually if it's two-character word in one of seven ways, uh, which we have all those documents and uh, articles in the sidebar of the course about how this works, but 
those um, those seven ways in which you can create a uh, character or create a word, I should say. Oh, yeah, right. So look, I just got it wrong there. The, the seven ways in which you can combine characters to make words is highly relevant uh, when you're talking about what the characters mean. Now, when a character combines with another character to create a word, uh, the way they relate to each other is what matters. And sometimes that changes the definition. It doesn't exactly change the definition of the character. It's just that two plus two equals four doesn't equal two, right? So if Ren is a is a meaning and shi is a meaning, then they combine to create this new meaning, right? And so uh, in this case, Ren shi is a word where both of the characters have a similar meaning, and this is what's called a juxtaposed word, where character A and character B essentially mean the same thing, and so the meaning of the word is not too far off from the meaning of both characters because they're already very similar in what they mean. So... Uh, now, as it happens, you can use the first character as a word in more advanced cases. It's not something we talk about in the foundation course because it doesn't really come up very much. But uh, in low frequency, it's a, it's a medium frequency word at best. But jin can mean to recognize something. Uh, for example, a common one is that situation where you see someone, you think you recognize them, and then you realize that it wasn't the person that you thought it was. Uh, we go, oops, I thought you were somebody else. You could say, well, jin ni. Tuo means to mistake. So ren tuo means to recognize mistakenly. And so like you uh, say, uh, oh, hey, ni hao, ni hao, xiao wang. And then they go, they turn around and you see their face and you realize, oh, wo ren tuo le ni. I, I recognized you incorrectly. So that's an example where you use the single uh, character uh, differently. But in this word, um, you know, both of them happen to have the same meaning, and they create this uh, word that is also a similar meaning. And it means to recognize or be acquainted with somebody to know someone. William Beeman on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Jijuo. Hi, in Yiqian, Shi Yiming Jijuo, would a person really use Ming as a measure word to refer to one's self? It's a respectful term. Wouldn't it be used towards others as a respectful reference? Yeah, so um, it is true that Ming is respectful, but it's respectful because it's nested in the, in the context of being a member of a team of some sort. Um, I, I, you can't say it's just related to work because you can also refer to a student as Yiming Xuesheng. So, but a member of a class, a member of a ban is the, the word you would use for that in Chinese, a ban of some sort. Like, for example, uh, my classes at Sichuan University were the Gaoji ban, the advanced class, or the Zhongji ban, the intermediate class. Um, and so the members of a ban can be counted as ming, right? And it is respectful because why wouldn't you be respectful about students? And why wouldn't you be respectful about members of a company, for example? Uh, you know, members of a newspaper, a reporter for a newspaper, uh, but it is also because of that other element to it, which is that it's a measure word for people who are in a ban of some sort, then it's reasonable enough to refer to yourself that way. Now, the word you wouldn't use for yourself, I don't think. I mean, I could imagine somebody doing it, but I get the point you're saying that most usually people are humble about this stuff uh, is wei, you know, yi wei lao shi, uh, a teacher, right? Um and wei is definitely respectful, although, you know, for example, if you go into a restaurant, because the restaurant is supposed to be respectful towards you, 
When you say uh, table for four, you would say si wei. Si wei, because wei means it's it, uh, Chinese is so awesome how many overlaps there are. So wei is a respectful term for people, but it's also position. So like wager means your position. So we need si wei. We need four positions at the table. And but it's also si wei ren, which means like, you know, four esteemed people. And you would say as the person, si wei, you wouldn't ask, um, you know, they would ask ji wei. How many people? And you respond, si wei, for four people, right? And so this is all just to say that miung, because it has that alternate meaning of relating to bands, to relating to classes or, or groups of people that you're with, you could refer to yourself that way and not sound haughty. Um, but referring to yourself as wei, not in the context of getting seats at a restaurant, would probably be a little bit uh would be a, be a little bit rich although i can't i can imagine somebody saying although i can also imagine them saying yeah that would be probably the more humble way to say it but yeah um that's the answer to that so ming so it basically is an expansion on what we were talking about before ming is respectful but that respect is nested in the fact that ming is referring to counting members of some type of ban some type of class or work group or company member, whatever. Nacho Un on new vocabulary unlocked for Gaoxiong. Is there any difference between Kaixin and Gaoxiong? So this is great because there are a lot of ways to say happy in Chinese. And so I thought I would just run through some of them. So I'm going to compare a few words. So we've got Gaoxiong, we've got Kaixin, we've got Xingfu, Kuailu, Yukuai, and Huanlu. Now, this isn't even all there is for happy, but it's all the ones that you may run across in life for, you know, the most part. Um, so, Xiong, high excitement. This is definitely an emotional state. 我听了以后很不高兴. When I heard it, I was very unhappy. Now, Xiong tends to refer to an, uh, an individual instance. Like, it's like... Uh, it doesn't have to be a short instance, but it's like a thing. So I heard, when I heard the thing, I was unhappy. I was bukaoxiung, right? When I was sitting with my girlfriend watching uh, TV and, you know, cuddling, I was hengaoxiung. But it's still referring to that thing. So it's sort of an emotional state. It tends to refer to uh, a particular moment or instance or, or situation. Um, then you have kaixin. I would say kaixin is a bit broader. Kaixin, uh, open heart. Well, isn't that nice? What a what kind of state are you in when you're happy? Well, your heart is open. And also, kai can mean to sort of spread, uh, you know, sort of, um, you know, zou kai means to uh, walk away or walk spread from this, uh, away from this thing. So if you're kaixin, it's like you're spreading your heart. Uh, and that is true that, you know, happiness can be quite contagious. So, uh, son lives a happy life. And that is an example of like just a general state of refer re referring to the life of the son. It's not as focused on an instance. Although you could say, um, or, uh, that's fine too. That's why I say that is a bit broader than Gaoxiong. Um, and, but here's another way you can use kaixin as a you can use kaixin as a verb and you can't use gaoxing as a verb so uh bie na ta kaixin 
So to na, like hold up something and then kaishin is to make fun of it, right? So don't make fun of him. Bie na ta kaishin, right? And that's a way of saying don't pick him up and make happiness out of it. You know, it's like sort of assumed that if you're doing that, it's at his expense. So you don't want to do that, right? Uh, so, um, yeah, you, you know, nah, something, kaishin. I mean, you could do that to things that aren't, um, you know, uh, going to hurt anybody's feelings or something. But, you know, you got the idea. So that's a thing, way you can use kaishin that's a bit more. Um, so kaishin is broader. It can refer to things like, you know, how your life's going. Uh, it can refer to instances, but it doesn't have, have to. It can refer to like the states that you're in in various circumstances, and it can also be used in that verb form. Next, we have xingfu, which is the noun. This is happiness, right? So um, here's here's a good sentence to display it. So first of all, if you take a noun like ren and you say ren that means everyone. So every of that noun. So ren is person, ren is everyone. Ren do. And yeah, do uh, after that, if you put, talk about multiple, ren ren do zhui qiu. is to pursue or uh, chase after. Xingfu. So all people chase, everyone chases happiness or everyone pursues happiness. Uh, so in that case, it's clearly, it's not necessarily the emotional state. I mean, you can say that a situation is xingfu or a, a house is xingfu, but it's like, it's not, um, it's more used in that noun form, the, the concept of happiness. Next, we have kuai le. Kuai le is what you would, how you would wish somebody happy birthday. Sheng zhi kuai le. Merry Christmas. Sheng dan kuai le. Um, this is a way of saying, you know, happy birthday. And what kuai le refers to is uh, periods of time. Like, because your birthday is 24 hours, it's a period of time. You want that to be a kuai le period of time. It could be an environment right so it's a you know the qifen qifen is also another uh atmosphere like not like literally the atmosphere of the earth like the atmosphere of a room or the atmosphere of a party um and so kuailo is more of that type of thing and it tends to be most often used for periods of time like you know uh it's merry christmas so it's basically saying may your time period of christmas be kuailo be happy same kuai as kuai le, except this one has yu in front of it, which has the emotion component to the left of it. So yu kuai is like pleasant or happy. So lü tu yu kuai. That means have a pleasant trip or ban, ban voyage, right? Um, yu kuai. Or here's a really useful one. Zhu ni, so wishing you, zhu ni, jin tian guo de yu kuai. Have a nice day. Have a great day. Have a happy day, right? So zhu ni jin tian guo de. So like guo means to pass the time or to experience the time or go through the experience. And then du indicates how. So guo de hao. Guo de yu kuai. Pleasantly. Right? So zhu ni jin tian guo de yu kuai. It's the simple way to say have a great day. And then the final one I'll talk about here is huan le. This is the most formal of them for sure. Uh, and it tends to be used in like things. You'll see huan le in books more often. You know, huan le. Xiang is like a happy scene. Oh, what a happy scene of the family over there. Xiang Or Fen, the same atmosphere thing I mentioned before, like a happy atmosphere here. Xuan um, it's a description of a large group of people. You know, I don't know, they're they're 
celebrating something and they're all it's a huanle de renqin. Um it, you wouldn't really refer to somebody's individual uh happiness as huanle. You'd usually say that as more kaixian or gaoxiong. And then uh huanle gu, which is uh gu means valley. So huanle gu is happy valley. There's a theme park in Chengdu called Happy Valley. So uh you know that's uh an example where you might see that. And then the final uh, question before we get into movie scene mnemonic shares is from Jason Pond on New Vocabulary Unlocked for Juma. He says, looking at these sentences, it seems like this word is very versatile. Also, wondering if Juma and Jiang are similar slash interchangeable for the meaning of this way. For example, could ta Juma zuo rang wo renwei ta tai huai le also be expressed as ta Jiang zuo rang wo renwei ta tai huai le. So, uh, in this case, they're pretty darn close. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, they, they feel a little bit different to me, but, like, it, the difference is very subtle. The, there's nothing wrong with either of them. Um, I feel like you'd be more likely to say ta joma to somebody um, who is, when ta is not there. Whereas ta jiang zuo feels a little bit more like he's there listening to, but, uh, that it so perhaps Jiang wouldn't really be used in this context if I dig a little bit deeper because that's rare that you would say while somebody's there listening to you that uh, <laughs> talking about him as if he's not there and saying that he's Tai Huila that you know he's he's a bad guy. Um, so it seems fairly unlikely, but I can't maybe you're like looking at him from across the room and you're saying Ta Jiang you know, um, uh, I could imagine that, but feels a little bit more like you're saying this about him when he's not there and he's, he's just, you know, you're just referring to the, uh, the instance. And so they're, they're quite interchangeable. I can't exactly explain why it is that it feels like that to me, other than just years of speaking Chinese that, uh, but yeah, that now that said though, uh, Juma does have other usages that you would not use Jiang for. So, for example, um, simple one, ni Juma bang, you're so cool, right? You know, Juma, you're you're so cool in this way. Wow, you know, like this in this way, you're cool. You know, Juma bang, right? You know, um, whereas ni Jiang bang doesn't make sense. That's uh, you know, um, you could say ni Jiang de xing wei hen bang, this type of behavior. Um, but, uh, yeah, could work as well, but yeah, no, no, it would be, you're so awesome. That would work. And so they're not exactly the same, but they do have some similarity. Sorry for the vague answer there. It's just that it's, um, you know, that type of small distinction is like, well, I can say this, as I always say, I'm sorry for being a broken record about this, but like the fact that I can't properly articulate exactly what the difference is between those two makes no difference in my ability to outload, output the language or understand the language. So it's just, it's just always important to remember that, that it doesn't like those types of questions, the why all that, it doesn't have any effect on whether or not you can understand the language or output the language. I'll use Juma in the right place and I'll use Jiang in the right place. And I don't always know why. I mean, do you know why you speak uh, the way you do in your native language all the time? Like why you use this word there and not that word? 
you know, much of the time, well, first of all, some of the answer is because they're synonyms and I just chose a synonym because I'm not going to spend my life agonizing over which word to use. So sometimes they're the same meaning, but then sometimes it's like, they're not, they're, they're different. And I guess it's just, that didn't feel right. Right. It's like, it didn't feel right to use the other one. And so that is actually the goal. You just want to get to the place where it just doesn't feel right. So you don't say it because it doesn't feel right. Like you don't have to know why. Um, and I know that that's incredibly frustrating, but it's true. <laughs> it's also true. All right, let's move on to the movie scene shares. And Bihari on Make a Movie for Jung, which is the keyword to stretch. The actor is Johnny Depp. The set is her grandma's house. She loves angels, so that's why the A-N-G. Uh, outside the front gate, and the props are a bow and a giraffe, because the giraffe has a long neck and the bow is the left side component. Johnny Depp is approaching grandma's house and sees a giraffe stretching its neck to try to reach the last apple at the top of the tree. But the giraffe can't, the giraffe can't quite reach it. Johnny appears to be happens to be carrying a bow and a quiver of arrows. He takes one out, stretches the bowstring taut with his careful aim, shoots the apple so that it falls to the ground. The giraffe now stretches his legs wide and is able to eat the apple. Johnny thinks no one will believe his story as it is quite a stretch for the imagination, but decides to tell Grandma anyways because she's always up for a good story. I like it. There's lots of stretching going on. You might even want to add in some sound effects like... As he's, uh, you know, pulling back the bow, you got that stretching sound effect. I can't really make the sound with my mouth, but, you know, you know what it is. Same thing when the giraffe's craning its neck. Just make that stretching sound. Same thing with the feet. If you add that, I'm sure that there'll be no doubt about it. I like it. Will R on Make a Movie for Shan Mountain. Um, actor Sean Connery, set AN, room within the set, front door. Props are a mountain because that's all. This is a simple ideograph of a mountain. Pictograph, I should say. Uh, Sean Connery at the AN front door. He looks over to the mountain he is going to climb later. Sean then turns his head, realizing that he was looking at the wrong mountain. And now it looks, uh, looks like the bigger mountain next to it. Sean then again turns his head, realizing he was again looking at the wrong mountain. And now looks at the biggest mountain in the, in the row. Sean Connery feels too old. For any one of these mountains. Oh, that's sad too because Sean Connery uh, passed away this week. Um, this scene is a parody of the Simpsons King of the Hill episode. I think it is very fitting because Homer looks at three long mountains and the prop has three uh, long lines going upwards. You can watch the clip I'm referencing here. There's the YouTube link in the show notes. I know exactly what scene he's referring to. It's, <laughs> it's hilarious. It's just he keeps <laughs> looking at the mountain and going, oh my gosh. That's really high. And then the next one is even crazier and the next one's even crazier. So yeah, that's a good scene. Will, I like it. Will R again on make a movie for Yi. Uh, and we have, this as a pictograph of a guy with sweaty and smelly armpits. Now for what it's worth, this character uh, has some archaic meanings, but it's mostly a useful component in other characters. Like for example, the character for to change Bien. So uh, but because the archaic meanings are so rarely used anymore, we just look at it and we like, we're like, this looks like a guy who's holding his arms out and he's sweating drops of sweat out of his armpits. That's what it looks like. So uh, that's how we're going to imagine it. The actor is the YI actress. The set is the childhood home. The room within the set is the bathroom. And the props are that guy with the sweaty and smelly armpits. So the actor is in the childhood home's bathroom. Austin Powers walks in with very hairy armpits. Austin Powers says, got any spray for my armpits, baby? <laughs> uh, the, the YI actress can't stand his hairy armpits and bashes him into orbit. Uh, so, um, 
Yeah, nice. I like it. So he's getting the spray for his armpits. That's a good connection. And Austin Powers, I remember him having those hairy armpits. Um, you know, nice. I like it. Simple, straight to the point. Della Fuller on Make a Movie for Shi, as in, so this is the character in Shipin, which means uh, video, and it kind of means to watch or to, you know, unlike to look, like can uh, or jian, to see, it's like to watch. So dian shi is TV, electric watch. So watch the electric thing, you know, TV. Um, Shipin is the watching channel, right? So pin is a channel, and so watching channel. Uh, and then Pindal, by the way, is a channel like is in you're flipping the channels on TV, but that's going down a rabbit hole. Sean Connery is in the backyard of my childhood home, which happens to be very near to a football stadium. Sean would much rather be at the game, so he is watching the stadium scoreboard through his telescope. Nice. So he can keep up with the, his team's performance. I like that because, of course, it means to watch uh, the stadium scoreboard is the left side component. And uh, his telescope is the right side component because that, that component on the right means to see. So it's an uh, excellent scene by Della there that makes it all very, very clear. Nice. George on Make a Movie for Gu. And this is the character um, that means each. Gregor Gysi, a German politician, rather small but with great rhetorics, <laughs> enters the bathroom of my E-set. Wow, it's so crowded. In front, there is a sloth and then the big mouth. Gregor shouts, I need to go to the toilet now. The big mouth turns around and shouts back, stand still. Each one will get in front. So I guess what he's saying is that they will uh, all each go to the bathroom. I mean, <laughs> I suppose that that is uh, not the worst idea. Of course, the sloth being slow would make the politician... Gregor get more and more impatient and I guess you could imagine that um the big mouth maybe uh is helping in this way in some way but I think that the uh the key is that maybe each person gets like maybe you could imagine each of them getting a uh, ticket and each and every person gets a ticket and that type of thing uh to go to the bathroom <laughs> um yeah I worry that this scene maybe doesn't have enough going on so you want to make sure that you add in some special effects add in some uh emotion imagine the guy like actually having to go to the bathroom like pretty bad and you know he's getting frustrated because the sloth is so slow but I think that you know you're on your way Stephanie Arapian on make a movie for Anne Jackie Chan is practicing his moves very intense and impressively with a garbage can lid nice as a shield for a phantom foe outside the entrance of AN. Marilyn Monroe exits the building, sees him, and watches. So she must be the uh, female component. So we've got the garbage can lid, lid and the female component. Nice. Jackie catches sight of her and freezes in place. The garbage lid goes flying, landing on the ground, coming to a stop round and round slowly as Jackie comes to attention. Marilyn picks up the garbage lid, places it on Jackie's head, and pats his face teasingly. At ease, soldier. He stares after her as she walks away, garbage lid still on his head. Yeah, and I think at ease is you know, the key word for this character. Saying at ease, soldier, is a good way to do it because you can kind of have him being very at attention, obviously, and then when she says at ease, he can relax. And so just make it very clear that that's what he does because 
remembering her saying at ease is less memorable than seeing his two movements, but it, clearly you have that in your scene already. I like it. Final share, scene share from Will R., Will R on Make a Movie for Tall, which means grass. Actor C. Actor in the AO set in the living room with a rose and a random person waking up. I like that. So the rose is a representation of the flower component and tall means uh, early. So a random person waking up. Um, you know, I wonder if you couldn't make that maybe a more specific person, but, you know, maybe make up Sleepy Gary from that episode of Rick and Morty. Anyway, make a movie. See the uh, see actress or actor at the AO's living room. Random person waking up is tired still. The C actor grabs a rose and puts uh, to the random person waking up's face to wake him better. Okay. Random person waking up is so overwhelmed by the smell of the rose. So overwhelmed so that he leaps out of the living room window onto the lawn's grass and starts smelling the grass. The C actor says to random person waking up, does the smell of damp grass help wash away the overwhelming rose smell? Um, yeah, I mean... I guess, yeah, this scene, I mean, it has all the elements. It seems a little bit, um, feels a little random, you know? Um, I mean, randomness isn't necessarily against the, against the idea here. I mean, I suppose the smell is so intense from the rose. Uh, you know, my, my feeling is to say that, um, you could do something like this, like maybe make the person waking up, the, the, the rose is perhaps, it's wilting and it's about to wilt. And then the person randomly waking up uh, says to the C actor, uh, hey, just just plant it on my bed. And then when he plants it like in the bed, gra a bunch of grass grows, grows around it. And then the rose also looks um, nicer at that point and stops wilting. Perhaps that would work. Uh, but, you know, it's not, the, the scene is okay. It's certainly it's certainly strange. You know, it's, it's memorable perhaps because it's strange. So uh, I think... That's fine. We'll leave it there for now. Thanks so much for listening to the Mandarin Bluebird podcast. Remember, in the show notes to this episode right near the top is the link to the vocab mnemonic sheet where you can add in your suggestions. Uh, we're trying to get the first two mnemonics in the two blue columns filled in for all the words at least. And uh, from there, we can uh, continue to make the course even better. So, Thank you so much for listening to the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. Check out mandarinblueprint.com and we'll see you next week.